looking at the baby. Parents terrified by one encounter and shocking video released of another daylight assault. On the road again. It's a really exciting day. How it's hoped reopening the Coquihalla will revitalize struggling businesses. And the automotive buzzkill. It's hard to stay excited for four or six months. What's driving the delay in electric vehicle deliveries? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver police are investigating whether a random attack on a young Asian woman that was caught on video was racially motivated. As Andrea McPherson reports, the assault is one of a troubling number of violent incidents in the city. 30 in the afternoon on New Year's Eve in broad daylight. It happened so quickly. A man suddenly lunges at a 22-year-old Asian woman, throws her violently against a wall and holds her to the ground in front of the Hotel Georgia in downtown Vancouver, an area bustling with people. No one stops to help her back to her feet. She calls 911 on her own. Unfortunately, these types of incidents are happening more and more in the city. We, we spoke about it a lot last year as well. And it has led to many people feeling less safe while they are in public. It was seemingly random and unprovoked. The suspect, a middle-aged white man. Police don't yet know if this attack is racially motivated or if it has any connection to the increase in anti-Asian hate crimes. Vancouver police say there are roughly four stranger assaults every day, but the mayor still calls his city one of the safest in the world. I do feel safe walking around the streets of downtown Vancouver, and I'm around, I walk around all the time. Uh, I did have a, a very good conversation with Chief Adam Palmer yesterday, uh, and I have full confidence that the VPD are um, doing an excellent job here in the city. Between the graffiti, break-ins, vandalism, and violent attacks, one Vancouver business owner who's been victimized himself calls that statement laughable. It's not safe. And the mayor should, and the city council should be working exceedingly hard, uh, coming out in the media saying, hey, we're doing everything we can to support the police and uh, make citizens safe when they're walking down the street. And I haven't heard a peep out of them. It's been so bad, he started a Facebook group to track the crime spread throughout the city and shakes his head at this latest random assault caught on camera. Uh, the mayor and, and some of his city council are just sitting on their uh, sitting on their hands, just twiddling their thumbs, watching as Rome burns. Vancouver police are looking for tips and witnesses to the crime and are hoping to speak to the other woman seen on camera moments after the assault. Andrea McPherson, Global News. According to a new study from SFU, violent crime and theft rose in Vancouver during the first year of the pandemic. The study indicates violent crime increased in poorer areas, including downtown, Strathcona and Mount Pleasant. Meantime, wealthier neighborhoods such as Kitsilano, Carisdale and Oak Ridge saw a spike in theft-related crime. The results were documented by tracking 10 types of crimes across 22 neighborhoods in Vancouver. The study suggests policymakers should consider providing help that addresses the root of these crimes. When we end up having times where we end up having a lot more uh, economic hardship, this is these are the types of things that can end up leading to leading to more crime and victimization. People people need to eat, and they need to be able to pay their rent. And um, they see a lot. There's been increases in homelessness uh, over this time, and these, like I say, these these are populations who need uh, who need more support. 
A new Westminster father is calling for stricter penalties tonight after he says a stranger randomly grabbed his daughter while they were out for a walk. Jordan Armstrong has more on what happened and why the father is frustrated with the charges currently laid. Oh, slow down. One-year-old Freya means the world to Dustin Lawton. So Friday evening, when a stranger approached and picked up the stroller with Freya inside, dad's protective instincts kicked, or rather, elbowed in. I mean, he had the stroller up off the ground, uh, like four wheels off the ground, and uh, he reached for her hood to grab her, and that's when I believe I elbowed him in the head. It happened at 6th and Carnarvon in downtown New Westminster. Lawton's daughter unhurt and out of the way. Witnesses say the guy turned his rage on a passing vehicle. The kid that my daughter. Sparking a fight in the middle of the intersection. This neighbor heard the commotion from his high rise. The guy out of the car punched him and he fell on the ground and, uh, and then uh, the police arrived shortly thereafter. The mother and father did the right thing by defending themselves, by fighting off this person and by and by getting to safety so other people could intervene. 46-year-old Jamie McLean, a New West local, is charged with mischief and assaulting a police officer, accused of spitting on a responding cop. We're still in the investigational stages of this file. Uh, we're still trying to determine what happened. Police are urging more witnesses to come forward and say additional charges are possible. They need to take the mental health more serious here and actually deal with these guys. Lawton wants more serious charges and is angry the accused is back on the street ahead of a court appearance next month. What's to say he's not going to do it to someone else or what's to say when I run into him again what's going to happen? While the accused walks free, Lawton says he's had to take time off work due to a foot injury suffered while protecting his daughter. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A big day for communities along the Coquihalla Highway and anyone who wants to drive there after the route reopened to the general public this morning. As Ted Chernecki reports, the tourism sector is hoping it will give the interior a much-needed shot in the arm. It is midweek. The Coquihalla has only been open for a few hours, so traffic is light. Yes, you can use this highway, but it's not the highway you remember. Think slow. A lot of construction involved, a lot of single-lane track. A lot of potholes, uh, the conditions of the road weren't that good, you can't pass, uh, a lot of snow on the passing lane, so you just kind of do single lane track. You get stuck behind a big truck and it's a slow go. There were 20 major damage areas after the storms of November, so there's still a lot of construction going on, and those reduced speed zones may not be so easy to spot in poor weather. Just be careful in the construction zones because the speed limit's only 50k. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people get pulled, pulled over for that. And these construction zones will be around for many months as engineers redesign the highway to better weather the storms of a warming climate. Meanwhile, everyone's just happy to be able to use the highway again. It allows people freer movement into our incredible ski area, resort areas within the interior, which essentially have been cut off over the last uh, you know, six weeks. The Okanagan ski resorts have been especially hard hit, along with the hotels and restaurants that cater to them. With no foreign visitors to speak of, they had relied heavily on lower mainland traffic. And then November came. Metro Vancouver and certainly their own local catchments have been the bread and butter um, that has kept these areas going. And having those areas cut off 
quite physically, literally physically, uh, it's, uh, it's added some additional challenges. And of course, lower mainlanders may just want to get away from the crowded city, like this couple who drove up today to do some backcountry skiing near the Coquihalla Summit. So it was really nice just for a quick lap, run out here, the highway is in good condition, we thought. We cruised here, lots of trucks still, but it's doing well. It is an engineering marvel to have this highway usable again so soon, but soon can be relative. For business owners, having to wait two months for half their customers to be able to return isn't soon at all. Ted Scherneke, Global News. Now to the pandemic and the latest COVID-19 numbers for B.C. Another jump in hospitalizations with just under 900 patients in hospital, 115 of those in the ICU. There have been 13 more deaths from complications of the virus in the last day. Active cases dropped a little to just below 36,000, and that includes 2,387 new cases. Keith Baldry joins us now to talk more about those escalating hospital numbers. And Keith, particularly troubling in the ICU. Yeah, they are indeed escalating quite quickly, Chris. This was uh, forecasted last Friday. Our hospitalizations would increase in number significantly. That's what's happening. More than 800 people have gone into hospital in the last week alone, more than 100 a day. And sure enough, check uh, yesterday's numbers, uh, we've exceeded that average. 113 people uh, was the hospitalization increase in one day. And that's out to 41 because more than 70 people came out of hospital. But the ICU situation is very serious. 57 people are now on, on ventilators in ICU. That's up 12 since Monday just in the space of a few days. And that third line, we've never seen this before. Three young people under the age of 19, all in ICUs at the same time. We have had young people in ICU from time to time, but not three at once. And none of those people were vaccinated, and that includes 50 unvaccinated patients in the ICU. So we're going to be tracking this every night. This is expected to continue to escalate in terms of hospitals and ICU cases for the next few days. We're not uh, showing the growth in ICUs that we're seeing in some other provinces or states, but nevertheless, when you've got 57 people on ventilators right now because they can't breathe. That's very troubling. And that number continues to go up significantly. And many of them are unvaccinated. Another lesson why you should get vaccinated. No doubt. Okay, thanks, Keith. As Omicron spreads throughout communities, it's also hitting the healthcare sector hard on top of those record high hospitalizations. We are now seeing major staffing shortages with an alarming number of workers off sick. Richard Zussman has more on the situation. Short staff, full out. We've had medical and surgical nurses being redeployed to emergency and to ICU. That's not in their realm of uh, scope of practice. There are now more people in hospital with COVID than at any time during the pandemic. And on top of that, staff are getting sick. From January 10th to 16th, just short of 18,000 healthcare workers called in sick for at least one day. The COVID pandemic driving at the surge. In 2020, in health authorities tracking historical data, a little more than 8,000 workers called in sick the second week of January. This year, a little more than 11,500. This uh, pandemic is having a real impact on British Columbians' ability to access healthcare. And of course, the strain on healthcare workers is immense. Along with getting redeployed when on shift, those workers who are sick are getting called dozens of times to come back to work before they're ready. The province just trying to keep the system going. Some of these strategies include leveraging overtime for staff and redeploying staff to different programs and services based on areas of highest need. 
centralizing administrative services. The areas outside Metro Vancouver are getting hit hard. Inpatient services are closing in Clearwater, Invermere, Lillooet. Overnight hours being reduced in Ashcroft and Slocan Health. The barrier at District Health Centre will be closed to redeploy staff to nearby emergency rooms and surgical services are being postponed in Prince George, Hazleton and Smithers, forcing workers to travel in winter conditions to fill in. We know uh, service reductions impact uh, patients, families and our own staff and physicians, so uh, wasn't one done lightly. HEU members will be doing what they can to make sure British Columbians get the care that they need, but uh, everybody has their limits. Here in Victoria, non-emergency scheduled surgeries will be delayed through the end of January. That includes here at Royal Jubilee, at Victoria General and in Nanaimo. We are determined to get services up and back and running in full as soon as possible. A plea from nurses. One thing the province could do is back up those now working in the system by fast-tracking accreditation for healthcare workers from other countries. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. Inflation reaches a 30-year high. Why you're paying so much for so little and what the Bank of Canada could do to cut the rising cost of living in just over a minute. Get ready for the coolest neighborhood art project you've ever seen. That's later on the news hour. And the sinking car selfie, how this driver ended up on and then in an Ottawa River, coming up. Right now, though, you may need to adjust your household budget for some time to come. Inflation has hit its highest rate in three decades, with that trend expected to continue. Nitu Garcha has more on the high cost of, well, pretty much everything and who it hurts the most. Food prices, which are rising, uh, those are up about uh, over 5% year over year. As the cost of just about everything climbs. What we're a little more concerned about, I think, is lower income individuals and households. Central One Chief Economist Brian Yu says those already struggling to get by will bear the brunt of the persisting problems with purchasing power. Gasoline prices, even though they're easing a bit, are still up about 30% year over year. This, as the latest report on inflation increases, reflects the supply and staff struggles seen in nearly every sector during the pandemic. Overall, again, a very a very hot inflation number that persists. A number hitting a 30-year high in December. Statistics Canada says the annual pace of inflation went up to 4.8% in December, the kind of spike last seen in 1991. The most immediate impacts are on groceries, up by an average of 5.7%. The global shortage of microchips adding 5.7% to the cost of digital devices and appliances and helping to drive up car prices by an average of 7.2%. We've also seen airlines uh, over 20% year over year as well, uh, fares. Um, so those are our factors that are a lot of it's pandemic driven. Also hit hard are some homeowners dealing with compounding costs, according to Tony Gioventu of the Condominium Homeowners Association of BC condo fees so far this year that they're they're increasing probably you know seven to fifteen percent to be able to keep up with a lot of the costs um part of that has to do with insurance costs um but for the most part it's just general expenses supply material 
labor. For a lot of homeowners, it won't mean much. Um, they are already locked into uh, various rates, um, pretty low rates as, as well. I, I think for new or uh, those who are trying to enter the market, it, it will create uh, upward pressure on mortgage rates that they're facing. And looking ahead, some economists are warning the pace of price increases could continue to climb, potentially sparking a central bank response in the coming weeks. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Vancouver. Kelowna has been named one of the top three emerging real estate markets in Canada. A report by Fundscraper, an online real estate marketplace, says Kelowna has a thriving economy underpinned by a robust construction industry, strong retail sector and an enviable climate. The firm says real estate prices remain manageable compared to Toronto and Vancouver, which have ballooned out of reach for many investors. The report also looked at population growth, employment statistics and GDP per capita to name Kelowna as a real estate hidden gem. The employment sectors within Kelowna very well diversified. So you have healthcare, you have financial services, you have trades and construction. You also have tourism, food and wine. Um, so Okanagan Valley, that is a major, major gem. Saskatoon and Barrie, Ontario rounded out Fundscraper's top three Canadian markets to watch. Coming up, the heartbreaking result of Fraser Valley flooding. You can't receive uh, 17 truckloads of pigs and process it in one day. Thousands of livestock died and tonight the unsettling truth about where many of them went. And why many drivers have to hurry up and wait for the EV of their dreams. Traffic is steady over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge in both directions. Uh, you're just going to find a bit of a delay for eastbound traffic on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Both the federal and provincial governments offer thousands of dollars in incentives to drivers to get them to switch to electric vehicles, but... There's one major roadblock. Yeah, getting your hands on an EV right now is difficult. With more on wait times and what's behind the delay, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrewa. And thanks, Sophie. The supply chain crisis is expected to continue to have an impact on many goods in 2022, and electric vehicles are no exception. Some consumers have been told they'll have to wait up to a year to get their hands on an electric vehicle. With skyrocketing gas prices and a desire to reduce his carbon footprint, Greg Morris wants to make the switch from a gas to electric vehicle. Trouble is, he's been told he'll have to wait for months until he gets his new set of wheels. Buying a new car is an exciting thing and uh, you want that to happen as soon as you can, so it's hard to stay excited for four or six months. The lack of semiconductor chips, part shortages and factory shutdowns due to the pandemic have all impacted vehicle production. Industry experts like Motormouth YouTube channel's Zach Spencer says consumers around the globe are telling him they can't get their hands on an electric vehicle. They're all reporting the exact same thing. I've gone to my dealer, I've asked when I can get one. They say you're not probably going to get one this calendar year. Some models it might be five, six months. Making matters worse, getting through the backlog of all the vehicles previously ordered by consumers. This backlog of regular cars and battery electrics is going to take through the whole year to figure itself out. 
In a recent survey for Transport Canada by Dunsky that looks at vehicle inventory across the country, it found a majority of dealerships in Canada still have no zero-emission vehicles in stock, and inventories tended to be focused in Quebec, B.C., and to a lesser extent, Ontario. I'm concerned that there are these wait times. I know that in B.C. that we're actually better off than the rest of the country, Uh, because of the zero emission vehicle mandate the government put in place. So every car dealership has to sell a certain percentage of new cars. Just just starting it up. Still, finding the electric vehicle of your choice will require some patience. For Teslas, it's about three, four, five month wait to get one. So you order it online and then they they deliver it to you. Um, Some vehicles that aren't popular, uh, there are certainly winners and losers in the EV space. There's going to be some vehicles like, say, a mini electric. Uh, You might be able to get one of those. Uh, You might be able to get the new Chevrolet Bolt when it goes back into production next month. Uh, The Nissan Leaf, vehicles like that. The popular ones, the ones that everybody wants, those are going to be harder to get. Greg Morris is proof of that. He's put two deposits down on two separate electric vehicles. I didn't get a choice as to color. I just gave them my money and said, I'll take the first one that shows up. So really, I don't have an awful lot of choice as as to what the car is going to be like. Now, Zach Spencer also says if you order from a dealer, make sure you give a fully refundable deposit in case you don't like the vehicle when it shows up. Make sure that's written in the contract. And if a dealership says the deposit is non-refundable, Spencer says to simply move on. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks very much, Ann. A new and unsettling result of catastrophic flooding in the Fraser Valley, the challenge to dispose of the thousands of animals who died. A compost facility in Princeton accepted 17 truckloads of pig carcasses. But as Taya Fast shows us, the local First Nation is concerned it's posing a threat to the environment. And we've blurred some of the images because they are disturbing. Thousands of pig carcasses have been piled up just outside of Princeton. The grim discovery was made by the Upper Similkameen Indian Band, who say the pigs have been dumped nearly 100 meters from the Similkameen River. The organics processing facility is run by Net Zero Waste, who say they've been operating in compliance with the regulations. But what we're doing is for every truck that comes in, a truck goes out. There is no dumping. Approximately 1.3 million animals died in floodwaters on B.C. farms, including thousands of pigs. Net Zero Waste say they were called in to help turn some of those pigs into soil. We were contacted by the Ministry of Agriculture and by the what was called the Emergency Operations Centre. As you can imagine, a bunch of animals, you know, rotting in standing water was polluting uh, the farm animals. Drinking water was polluting the farm. The company says that all the pigs that they received only came from one farm in the Fraser Valley. You can't receive uh, 17 truckloads of pigs and process it in one day. It, it's, it's impossible. So it took us a couple of weeks. But the local First Nation are concerned over the possible threat the pigs pose to the land and river. In a letter to Princeton Town Council on Monday, the USIB asked the town to formally resend their letter of support for the facility. Now, the USIB was unavailable for an on-camera interview, but they did say in a statement that they are horrified with the discovery at the net zero waste facility. Meanwhile, the Ministry of Environment is investigating after a complaint and in an email statement 
statement to Global News, they said that staff attended the compost facility on December 21st to assess the compliance with the Environmental Management Act and the Organic Matter Recycling Regulation. The ministry added they are awaiting sample results, but once the inspection report is complete, it will be available on the Natural Resource Compliance and Enforcement Database. The Ministry of Environment came to the site. They saw that everything was on the pad. They saw that there was no uh, leachate. So that's just purely false. TFS Global News. Just ahead, a distraught father makes a desperate plea. My family is so torn up by this. What he's asking for since his son went missing four months ago. But first, an Ottawa woman drives her car right into the icy river and it doesn't really seem to bother her very much. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. Kind of a dark and dreary night over here by the Massey Tunnel, but the good news is traffic is moving well in both directions between Richmond and Delta. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Ottawa police have charged this selfie-taking driver after an apparent on-ice stunt landed her car in the Rideau River on Sunday. Video posted to social media appeared to show the car speeding along the frozen waterway before breaking through the ice. Police say the driver was rescued by people who live in the area and wasn't injured. She has been charged with dangerous operation of a motor vehicle. Also tonight, a distraught family is making a desperate appeal for help, asking for any clues that can help find a 26-year-old missing Langley man. Devin Goodrick hasn't been seen or heard from since late September. Amadagahi spoke to Devin's father and shares their heart-wrenching story. It's been really, really hard because, you know, it's just right now not having any kind of uh, closure. It has been nearly four months now, and no one knows what happened to 26-year-old Devin Goodrick, including the people that love and miss him the most. My family is so torn up by this. I can't focus on day-to-day -day tasks. Um, my mind is clouded by the loss of Devin. The family says Goodrick was last seen on a Snapchat video from a night out on September 24th. Immediately, his sister was alarmed by the others she also saw in the video. She tried to reach him to get him home, but couldn't. The next morning, he was missing. Two weeks later, homicide investigators took charge of his disappearance. That was uh, him and I not knowing what happened to him. Uh, your mind goes to places where you can't have control of it. His father describes Goodrick as a gentle giant who saw the good in others, even though some of the people he associated with the times, according to his family, had troubled pasts. I love that picture. It was always a little spot in the back of my mind and my daughter's mind that uh, something bad could happen to Devin because he was one of those people that uh, gave the benefit of the doubt. Goodrick himself had seen the consequence of poor decisions, fighting in public, driving prohibitions, but nothing that would associate him to a criminal lifestyle, his father says. At the time of his disappearance, he had full-time work and trades, a relationship. He was recently expecting a child. 
His family knows that Goodrick, in the early hours of the morning after that night out, had passed through this intersection in South Surrey. He was in a car with three other people. Homicide investigators have said this. We know there are persons out there with the information that could assist us in finding those responsible, and we are urging them to come forward. There are people out there that uh, are hiding the answers from us, um, thinking that they are going to eventually get away with this. Not knowing anything is torture, the family says, and without the truth, they can't even begin to grieve, while also anxious that as more time passes, so may with it the likelihood of justice. Emadagahi, Global News. Charges have now been laid in connection to a deadly stabbing at Metro Town Mall back in December, and the former boyfriend of the victim is accused of the crime. The integrated homicide investigation team says the victim is 25-year-old Melissa Blimke from North Vancouver. On December 19th, police responded to Metro Town, where they found Blimke suffering from stab wounds. She died later in hospital. 31-year-old Everton Downey was arrested nearby and has now been charged with second-degree murder. IHIT says Downey and Blimke had been in a relationship. He is still in custody. Menopause is not something normally associated with men, but some Alberta researchers say it is a real thing and more people need to know about it. Global Suling Go has more on the condition and how pharmacists can help. Anthony Tudor runs an online support group for men with hypogonadism, also known as male menopause. What I've discovered is actually there's a big stigma around it and it's internalized stigma as well around being less of a man because you don't produce testosterone. And that's exactly why University of Alberta researchers are encouraging pharmacists to reach out to men. They developed guidelines for pharmacists to help get guys talking, tested and treated. We're hoping that pharmacists are able to initiate the discussion, get more involved in the care of these patients and hopefully bridge some bridge that gap that um, sometimes exists in, in the area of men's health. Testosterone levels can drop off over time. About 50% of men will experience symptoms, usually around middle age, including fatigue, weight gain, and low libido. Irritable mood, depressed mood, trouble sleeping, and sometimes hot flashes can be included as well. Dr. Cheryl Sadowski says the condition is often misdiagnosed. It's just assumed that that person might have relationship difficulties or they're giving given a sleeping pill, maybe an antidepressant, and it's not treating the underlying issue of low testosterone. The researchers point out men are more likely to visit a pharmacy than a doctor's office, and pharmacists can send patients for blood testing, then manage their treatment, testosterone supplementation. The results were quite fantastic. Within a couple of weeks, I was feeling much better. I was sleeping much better and kind of brings your buzz back to life. Anthony uses a testosterone gel. The 50-year-old says more guys need to talk about menopause so others don't suffer in silence. Even if it says a bit of a joke and a bit of a laugh, it might get people thinking, it might get someone saying, actually, I will go to a doctor, I will get checked. After 75 years, the Canadian Red Cross is winding down its swim and lifeguard programming. The programs date back to 1946, when drowning rates were considerably higher than they are now. Since then, about 40 million Canadians have received Red Cross training. Programs will now be offered by the Life Saving Society of Canada instead. The exception, though, 
is First Nations communities, which will continue to receive training from the Red Cross. The Red Cross says the decision was driven by growing humanitarian needs, the evolution of the marketplace, and the need for a different strategic direction. Coming up, art is in the ice of the beholder. It's impressive. It really is. An amateur sculptor sharing his culture and creating masterpieces in the front yard. And coming up in sports, finally, the end of the road for the Vancouver Canucks. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right, time to check in with meteorologist Christy Gordon. Christy, I had a sneak peek at your five day graphic, and I really like what I see if mm -hmm. I caught the right one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, Sophie. Uh, so we've got lots to look forward to. I mean, it's raining right now, but uh, the long range is looking terrific. But there's a bit of a problem that I need to tell you about. Quick look at the jet stream. So this is the big upper level ridge that Sophie's alluding to, and this is going to protect much of southern BC from any moisture moving in. So we've got dry weather on the way. The problem is how much sun will we see? Well, at the first part, we'll start to see sunshine. But what can happen in the winter with a big upper level ridge? We get radiative or inversion fog Developing clear skies, light winds causes radiative cooling. So it cools near the ground and that condenses the air near the ground, creating that fog or a low level cloud deck. And you remember this in past winters, we've seen it. It's cold and cloudy down below, and all of the sunshine and warmth is higher up. That has the potential of developing with this uh, inversion as well. We could see some increased smog because it gets trapped in in that inversion. So we don't yet know exactly when that will develop, but in the coming days, that that's certainly possible. Meanwhile, snow for inland regions all overnight and through the morning hours tomorrow transitioning to rain and it brings the risk of freezing rain. So keep that in mind. Snow and a risk of freezing rain in many parts of the interior tonight into tomorrow morning. But generally tomorrow, clearing trend on the way and that includes the south coast. So we will see showers lingering through the Fraser Valley through much of the day tomorrow. But Metro Vancouver should be enjoying sunshine by the afternoon with a high of 10 degrees. And then this is what Sophie was talking about. But the question is, will we see that sunshine all the way into our Sunday and Monday as well? Or will that inversion fog or inversion layer develop? Tonight, Central Windows weather window uh, is coming to you from Golden. Bonnie Johnston sending us that gorgeous shot. Yes, that is a what you would call a golden shot. Back to you guys. Absolutely beautiful. Thanks there very is a much, very Christine. nice golf course in Golden. Oh, is that right? I like that. Yeah. Among all of the other amazing things you can yeah, do. There's there. a lot of good things in golf. Golf, too. Skiing, golfing, a lot of things. Uh, okay, you've been uh, working the contacts for what might be breaking news. Well, we're trying to figure out uh, this rumor that's come out of L.A. that the Whitecats might be trading their goalkeeper, Max Crapo. Huh? What? One of the best in the league, if not maybe the best. Anyway, we'll tell you about that. Also, the uh, Canucks win last night means that their five-game road trip Ended much better than it started. To go with a two-game winning streak home where we haven't been in over a month. Yeah, they're home Friday against Florida. And Boudreaux feels his guy showed a lot of heart on this road trip. And later, taking the simple snowman to the next level. How a Montreal man is carving a niche for himself.
I just had to put Wait, something down. Are you okay now? <laughs> no, I, yeah, well, that, not, that was not a medical situation. Were you checking on your sources? I was just putting something down. On the, I was actually putting my phone. We need a table for him over here, so that's It the would be nice. Yeah. A table would be, it doesn't have to be a nice one. It just has to have We'll get you legs. a cardboard box. <laughs> okay. I have small legs, but I can't be your table. No, please don't. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, goalkeeper Max Crapo has been away from the Vancouver Whitecaps training camp this week for personal reasons. And now we might know the reason. There are rumors all over Major League Soccer. Vancouver is about to trade Crapo to LAFC for $1 million in allocation money for signing players. Now, these are just rumors at the moment, but the sources are pretty good. I got to say, I hope the rumor is not true. Even thinking of trading Max Crapo seems bizarre, considering how many times, here's an example, he saved this team. He's one of the best keepers in MLS. This would be like the Canucks thinking of trading Thatcher Demko. Good goalies not only stop shots, they give their team confidence. And no offense, Whitecaps backup Thomas Assault is not at Crapo's level. So if this is true, maybe Max wants out for some reason. Maybe it's a money thing, that could be it. But Vancouver would need to find a replacement fast. And it won't be easy because Crapo was that good. The Vancouver Canucks long and winding road is over. Friday they play at home against Florida. First time they've played at home since uh, December 14th. Because of all the postponements, they had to play nine straight away from Vancouver. But today, the NHL announced when those postponed games will now be played. And here is the list. Six of them are on home ice and one will be in San Jose. There you can see Arizona, the Islanders, the Toronto game, Anaheim, Seattle and Ottawa all the way down to April have been rescheduled and the one they have to play in San Jose will be on February 17th. Now, the Canucks finished that five-game road trip last night with a 3-1 win over Nashville. They started the road trip 0-3, then they won their last two games on the road, which is impressive. Before they left on this trip, Bruce Boudreaux said the time on the road would tell him a lot about the team he has. So what did he learn about his Vancouver Canucks? Well, I mean, we have a lot of heart. We've got a great goaltender. There's no doubt about it. Uh, he's a wall back there. And uh, uh, and when you have that, it's 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 a little bit of relief when when the team isn't doing what the, exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Also, you know, uh, learn that there's a lot of heart. There's a lot of will and a lot of want. Uh, they don't want to be thought of as a, as a bottom place team or anything like that. They, they've got the heart. Uh, a lot of them have hearts of lions, and, and it showed in this trip. You know, I think it was huge to, to lose three and then bounce back and win two. Um, it kind of felt like the last couple of years we were in, in situations where we might lose a couple and then a third and then a fourth. And, um, you know, I was proud of our group for, for stepping back up against a, a tough team in Washington on a back-to-back. So, um, just got to get, get our wins here uh, one at a time and uh, take the momentum back home. Now, because of those games, I just show you, showed you that the Canucks had to reschedule. One of the Vancouver Warriors' home games has to be changed as well. They were going to play at Rogers Arena against Saskatchewan on February 12th. That game is now being moved back one day to uh, February 11th, Friday, February 11th at 7.30. Okay, getting back to the Whitecaps. They've always been a team that likes to have Canadian talent, young Canadian talent, like Max Crapo when he came here from back east. And, of course, the best example ever for developing a young Canadian player is Alfonso Davies. But another young Canadian that has been groomed for a while is Theo Bear, but he still hasn't fully broken through. 
This is my home. I've been here for, since I was 14, so it's always nice to be back. Theo Bear is back, but just where the young striker who's been a part of the Whitecaps organization since 2015 slots in is anyone's guess. The 22-year-old only played in four MLS matches last season before heading out to Norway on loan to get more playing minutes. With Caps leading goal scorer Brian White and a healthy Lucas Cavallini prime for more quality minutes up front, it's difficult seeing just where Bear fits in. I, I would say the entire idea of uh, uh, sending players alone so they can have minutes and they can come back more mature. We did it with him, we did it with David Egbo, we did it with uh, Gianfranco, Facchineri, and uh, when they come back, of course, they had the possibility to, to measure themselves instead of just having here and, and train. And so, of course, they come back and they are more mature and more ready to, 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 to fight for a spot. He just told me that he's happy to have me here and that I'm part of this team. Um, and obviously until I'm not with whatever happens. Um, so I'm, he's, he's basically welcomed me back with, with open arms and that I, I really appreciate. Well, we have been talking a lot about goalies tonight, so let's continue that theme by telling you that Canadian women's keeper Stephanie Labbe is retiring from international soccer in April, less than a year after she backstopped Canada to an Olympic gold medal, and she was a huge part of that medal considering... The final game went to a shootout and Labbe also shut out the Americans in the semifinal. Honestly, today I'm like so excited about this and I think there's just been this huge weight off my shoulder because I knew that this was a decision I was ready to make. Uh, it was just about making the decision and um, like I said, I, I feel so confident that I've, I've really left everything on the field and given myself to this country. Um, and you know, it's, it's time for the next generation to, to take over and you know, I know I'm leaving Canada and extremely strong hands um, and I, I couldn't be more excited to, to watch this team continue to, to thrive. All right, earlier today, Australian Open, Dennis Shapovalov against Soon Woo Kwong of South Korea. And this was a long and tough match for both of these men. They split the first two sets. Now here, between the leg shot by Shapovalov, doesn't matter. Kwong is ready for it. He won the third set, so Shapovalov had to win the final two, and he would. Thanks to shots like this, the overhead backhand, and it fools Kwong. So they go to the final set, and Shapovalov got off to a fast start. He was up 3-0 and 4-1. Kwong seemed to start losing steam in the fifth and final set. So Shapovalov moves on to the third round. Felix Oje Aliassim is about to play his match in, well, about 30, 35 minutes. All right, there you go. All right. Thank you very much, Squire. All right. Up next, a Montreal man going far beyond the simple snowman with his winter sculptures. Dazzling hand-carved snow sculptures are the talk of the town in a Montreal suburb. Some as high as three meters, others decorated in bright colors. And as Global's Braden Jagger Haynes shows us, this pandemic project brings levity and a cultural lesson to the community during some difficult times. 
using only household items like a cheese grater, a pie server, and lots of snow. Artist Xu Feng Zhang has turned his snow-covered front lawn into a curated showcase of Chinese culture. I love snow sculptures. The Kirkland resident has been busy honing his technique during the winter months with his pandemic project, hand-carving intricate statues. This, this one I like it most because uh, we need it in, in the pandemic. Zhang says each one of his pieces holds a meaning. This three-meter-tall sculpture of an ancient Chinese general represents strength and loyalty. These vases symbolize peace and safety. All things that are needed to get through the ongoing pandemic, he says. Uh, he can bless me. I believe he can bless me. However, it's others who feel blessed. Only his second year of carving, word of his outdoor gallery has traveled far. The sculptures have become the talk of the town. Uh, I feel very, very, you know, um, sort of back to China. It's nice to see these uh, sculpture, ice sculpture, right in the neighborhood. So we're going to go out of our way and come down here and have a look at them. And it's impressive. It really is. They really did a nice job. Zhang takes pleasure in the bit of levity his therapeutic work brings to the community during difficult times. It just makes the neighborhood feel more welcoming. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue walking every day and look out for more. That's right. It takes two to three days to shape one of these sculptures. And with the latest dumping of snow, Zhang says more are on the way. I will do it every day. Braden Jagger Haynes, Global News, Montreal. That is a lot of snow. Oh, unbelievable. A lot of shoveling, a <laughs> lot of carving, and using a cheese grater for extra points. That was mm. impressive. Mm-hmm. Can I mention one more postponement? <laughs> I know yeah, Lord, it's no. all about the postponements. Mm-hmm. Um, Giants and Kelowna were supposed to play Saturday. That game has been postponed. Okay, they give a reason, did you say? Uh, Kelowna has some kids on the uh, you-know-what list. Ah, uh, yep. the protocol, yep. as they say. Yep. All right, that's all the time we have. We do know there's sun in the forecast, so we can look forward to that. Christy, thanks very mm-hmm. much, and thanks for watching, everybody. Good night, all.